This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host Jen Wilkin and JT English, and by our mutual friend and past and present colleague for some of us, Mason King. Mason is a pastor at the Village Church and is the author of A Short Guide to Spiritual Disciplines, How to Become a Healthy Christian, but more than either of those two things... Mason is our friend, and we are glad to have you on the show, Mason. Oh, thanks for having me. Mason, you are the first guest that we've had on the show who has antlers on their backdrop. You have broken, uh, you, 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 have, you have cemented your unique visual backdrop in the Knowing Faith uh, I'll take it. Uh, archive, I so like congratulations. He, I think he's positioned himself yeah, just so it. that I'll the antlers it. will not be sticking out from either side of his head when the camera is straight on. I really want that to happen, though. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's amazing. No, if, if, engin- Engineer Brad, if you do run across that in the video, please make sure you uh, screen grab that. If not for social media, <laughs> at least for the four of us to have. For, us. Uh, for personal our, use. Yeah, that's right. As our, as our new, yeah. as our new uh, Mason King is calling you profile photo. Um, exactly well, hey, Mason, right. before we like really start talking about the book. Um, I've been wondering this because I see this n- name pop up in a lot of forewords. Could you just not find anybody more prestigious for your forward? Like, I mean, you were like, huh, I need somebody to write a forward for my book. Who offices across the hall from me? Yeah. Let me ask like, What is the least effort I could expend? And it was, let me, let me see if Jen's got something. Did you, did so you, did you write? Gracious. Did you write, will you write my forward, check yes or no on a paper airplane and throw it across the hall? Like a sticky note or something like that? I just threw it across the hall. We were actually in a meeting. We were in a meeting where I knew it was really important, so I just slid it across to her. I don't actually remember. How did that happen? Did you just ask me one day? I don't even remember at this point. I think I felt super awkward to ask anything, and I just came into your office and was like, uh, you know, (laughs) if it's cool, would you think about maybe... We were talking about... (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about, before we got on, we were talking about all of the awkward and unexpected parts of publishing. And that is one of them, is you feel like you have to ask people for things that you really don't want to. So it was fun. It was so fun to get to write the foreword for your book, Mason, because like I've said elsewhere, like I routinely have to say no to people who I just don't know. But when you know the person who's writing the book and you believe in their message and you know they're a consistent Mm -hmm. human across all spaces, man, that was an easy yes. Yeah, it was a real gift. I love it. Well, you know, we're, we're talking about Mason and Jen being across the hall from one another at um, JT and I's old stopping grounds at the Village Church out there in Flower Mound. We, we all have our kind of a shared history for us is that mm-hmm. at one point we all worked at the Village. And then at one point now we've all worked in the Village Church Institute department. And so I think it'd be Why fine. Why didn't we all just like pause time? I don't think I we know. realized how amazing yeah. Could just stay and fun and sweet you, that was. Man. You don't know what you got till yeah. it's gone, right? That's what Vanessa Carlton I think said. A song about I think. That. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. It's no big deal. I know the whole song. Whatever. <laughs> um, but okay, so here's maybe it would be fun to just kind of like Mason. I would love to hear like t- like we've sh- we've shared the story of TVCI on here many times from like our kind of perspective at building. But like I would love to hear from you, like past uh, of uh, the Villa Church Institute to present day, just kind of like, what's that story like? I mean, we, you know, I was rolling off of that department when you were rolling into that department and JT was rolling out Mm -hmm. to Colorado. And so I would just, we've told it many times, I would just be fascinated to hear just a little bit about kind of what's going on at TVCI, the road that got us here and just your part in that now. Yeah, Uh, we are heading into year nine of TVCI. Wow, that's nuts. Which is crazy. So we're, already kind of planning things for year 10, which is really fun, but uh, heading into year nine and thinking through 
looking at the contemporary evangelical church and the need for an understanding of firsthand knowledge of our sacred text and then applying that sacred text to everyday life. And so that helps us to think through uh, what does the Bible say? What does it say when we apply it to life? What does it say about who we're supposed to become in Jesus? And so that's really, that's what we do. It's what you guys do in each of your spaces as well. And so thinking through how do we help people uh, have avenues to do that in their local church. And so JT had an initial vision of thinking through, man, I shouldn't have to go to seminary to be discipled this way. Uh, We shouldn't export our best and brightest to go out to another class. We should be able to teach them here in these things. And uh, you guys know from there, Jen was already teaching the scriptures to women in our in our congregation and in our neighborhood. We began to think through other structured places to do that. And so we created these environments that now for nine years have been teaching people to know more about God rightly, not just who they project him to be based on their experience or who they've picked him up to be in memes, but what he says about himself hmm. and then how to order life in relationship to him. So it's really exciting. And in those in that last nine years. We've seen a lot of churches, and you guys have met with a lot of churches who uh, have interest in how to do this. And so it's just been a kind of a collective effort of, uh, we want to see this move forward in the local church, and how do we do that from different angles? So it's really exciting. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's been fun because it's just cool to see it continue to evolve uh, and continue to grow and develop. Uh, I mean, when I think about nine years ago, a lot of the stuff that JT and and Jen uh, and uh, Caroline Smiley at that time, and there were others, uh, they were just kind of building and dreaming and cooking up things. Um, You know, it all kind of felt like uh, wet cement. So it's it's just been cool to see it all kind of come together and build something really beautiful there, even though it's changed over the last nine years. And I think that's very fitting. So anyways, well, I'm excited to have you on. I'm excited. JT, what you look like you want to say. Can something I mention here. something about that? I, yeah. I just remember, I mean, to give kind of some of the story, one thing that's kind of fun for me to see now, like being separate from it and away from it and still loving what God is doing there is like first seeing people who are in those early years mm-hmm. uh, still flourishing. So like I think of Morgan Marshall, who is an intern right. in one of those first years. Like she did, she did the seminary program and she just graduated from seminary. This is going to be releasing this summer, but right, we're recording this in May. She rec- she graduated on Friday, which is like amazing. Like yeah. eight years of faithfulness or Michelle Holmgren, who's currently on uh, the TVCI staff, I believe. Like to see mm-hmm. people who are like, were in those early years who just kind of showed up and said, will you teach me the Bible? Would you teach me theology? I can't believe I get to do this here. And to see them still going, like that was always yeah. the hope. It wasn't like the training program, the institute, whatever we call it, Forge, it was never to be like, hey, you get a degree or a certificate and then you're done. It's how do we keep growing and loving God over the course of our lives? And when Kyle and I and Caroline Smiley were originally, this is before Mason joined our staff and Jen was kind of crushing it in Bible study, one of the areas that we felt weakest, I, I at least I felt weakest, was we talked about these kind of three learning outcomes, Christian story, Christian belief, and Christian formation back in the day. And I always felt most awkward in the Christian formation. It always felt like, man, I'm not sure we landed that plane just right, or I'm not sure, like, Kyle could crush it in that kind of philosophy and theology, and Caroline was crushing it in biblical theology, and so was Jen, and I had my wheelhouse in Trinitarianism or some other systematic topics, but it always felt, I think some of the assignments were okay, but when we brought Mason onto the team, I was thrilled because it was like, this is an area that I care about personally, I try to live personally, but it always felt a little bit like a weakness in our curriculum. So when he came onto our team, it changed. It changed kind of the dynamic of, okay, we can actually make this really applicable in people's lives as they 
seek to, to, to be formed by these ideas. It's not just that God is sovereign. It's that that should form how I live my everyday life. It's not just that God is Trinity. It's that I get to, to be in fellowship with the triune God. It's not just that the Bible is authoritative, but that it can actually have authority in my personal life as I meditate on it. So even to see how over the last nine years, there's been like iterations uh, based upon mm-hmm. our different strengths and weaknesses, and then to see this kind of come to fruition in a book yeah has been a really sweet thing, Mason. And I'm just thrilled for kind of how that continues to take place at a church that we all love, but also is going to help other churches, as I think that's something that evangelicalism, as you mentioned, needs desperately. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and it, it's been something as uh, you guys know how much I love close friendships and value team. And so even as you just highlighted gifts that go and come with different people on team, to find to find the importance of the balance of gifts and to appreciate mm-hmm. who the Lord brings for different seasons seasons like um, having like looking for Garrick and bringing him on knowing that he's a systematician through and through but has a pastor's heart and then having Nathan and having Michelle and now Colleen trying to build the balance of emphasis so that it doesn't tilt one direction or another because you mm-hmm. know each of us after a couple of years are going to put so much of our flavor on something. Mm-hmm. That it's been a really fun exercise the last few years to think through, okay, how do we make sure we're not unintentionally course correcting in a different direction? Yeah. Um, and I'm so thankful for the iteration of the team right now. It's been a lot of fun. Well, Mason, talking about putting your flavor on something, when I saw that you were writing a book on spiritual disciplines, I did immediately think to myself, okay, what's the unique angle on this? And as you know, because I know that you're an avid reader and you've been reading in this space for a long time, and our listeners know there's a lot that's out there on spiritual disciplines, like a ton. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I initially, when I saw that you're writing, I was like, okay, that's a challenge. It's a challenge to kind of come with Mm -hmm. a unique perspective on spiritual discipline. So could you just share with the audience, like what is your elevator pitch? What's the unique angle on this book where you kind of felt like, hey, this, I I was familiar with what was out there and I felt like this was something Mm -hmm. I wanted to say to the people I'm pastoring here, but also to the wider audience that could benefit from it as well. I would just love to, what was your, what's your elevator pitch for the unique angle on this book on the spiritual disciplines? I think for the Christian who wants to become something and knows the New Testament calls them to become more like Jesus, it's often driven by what is my responsibility and duty. And so if I just work harder and try and do the right thing, then eventually I might become the right kind of person. And when you put it in a, uh, I mean, even if you think about the neo-reformed movement or thinking about the over-application of depravity, where we over-identify with uh, the text that Isaiah, where he says, like, my deeds are like filthy rags, we think I'm filthy rags. Yeah, And so we we take God's uh, judgment towards sin as his judgment towards us, yeah. as, as his creation, and think yeah. nothing I do will make him love me. And so really disciplines become an avenue to try and be acceptable when we're already acceptable in Christ. And so for me, I thought with, with the book, with the book, can I invite people to know that Christ doesn't shame us, but calls us forward? Mm-hmm. And where we have projected our experience or we expect God to treat us no better than we treat ourselves, that he actually represents himself differently in the text. And if we'll see him for who he is, then we'll realize the invitation is joy and love mm-hmm. by abiding in who he is and what he calls us to. And so I, I wanted to go kind of at a wider angle instead of saying, here's the nine things you need to do. To know that uh, contextually and through seasons of life, those things will change, what you have margin for or not. But I think there's three areas of life that we can always seek to become more attuned in and to offer to God more holistically. And that is our attention, our emotions, and our limits. 
And so in each of those things, trying to say, hey, both in where you give your attention and how you're being formed and what your heart is telling you, what your emotions are telling you and how you're stewarding them, and then how you're embracing being a creature and the good that that is, not the thing to be pushed against or railed against. Those three spaces are spaces that as you continue to mature, you can build a life uh, that is walking with God. And I use the image of a tree growing, planted by streams of water, by actually by the river of God's love out of Psalm 1. And just to say, hey, become a tree that continually plants yourself next to the river of God's love, which is Christ. And that's the invitation for us. So that's, that's my pitch for the book. Do you ever get stuck wondering how to study a Bible passage? The Courage for Life Study Bibles for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bibles for Men have over 1,400 Bible studies. That's a Bible study on every page of Bible text. Access to the Filament Bible app lets you dive even deeper. If you download the app and you scan the page number, you can open up a world of resources, including over 25,000 additional study notes, hundreds of videos, and a full audio Bible. Start discovering at courageforlifebible.com. That's courageforlifebible.com for incredible study notes and an incredible study Bible. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. Visit csblifecouncilbible.com to get your copy today. So nobody writes a book by accident. You don't give the time to it or the energy to it unless you really care about what you are writing about. And you touched on this a little, I think, but the elevator pitch interests me, but I'm always particularly interested in the why. Like, what was it that drove you to say, no, this is something that I need to say? What was it in the church or what was it in your own experience? Why do you care about spiritual disciplines? I would say since I was about 22 or 21 and I read Willard's The Divine Conspiracy, I have been really captivated by how do we become who God wants us to be? And what mm-hmm. is the partnership or the how does it work where the Holy Spirit influences us and what can we be doing? How do we reconcile um, all the imperatives in the New Testament to think through like, what is what do I do? And mm-hmm. as I've thought through uh, this season of life and thinking through my children's lives, And then all the conversations that I've had pastorally over the last decade, the essence of, I want to believe that God is for me, but it's hard to believe that he is Mm because many days I'm not for myself. And so how can I walk in faith that I can become something different? And what does that look like? And so that has been the hope of how do I say, gosh, there's so many things coming at us that are forming us in these different areas and things we're giving our attention to, and we're being really pushed into mediocrity and deformed from who we're supposed to become? What is a way to invite people to be driven by joy and love rather than trying to tell them work harder, do better? And that's really been what I've what I've wanted to be able to say and try and paint a picture for someone. You use the language of becoming, and I've heard you use this language before, Mason, and I think it is a part of the unique contribution of 
the book here, that and its brevity. I would just say like more brief books, please, more concise books. And you have <laughs> like concise without lacking substance. I do think that the the size of this book is not a true indicator of the substance of what it's saying. Mm-hmm. And that's when you hit like a really golden mean. Like it's just like that's the Goldilocks zone of book writing when it's mm-hmm. like the size and the substance were like disproportionate. It was smaller and more substantive, not larger and less substantive. So there's a lot of spiritual disciplines books that I would say are larger and less substantive than there are some that are smaller and more substantive. (laughs) This meets that criteria. So if for no other reason than that, you should absolutely check it out. But beyond that, I do think your language of becoming is significant. I've heard you use this over years of knowing you in your preaching and your teaching ministry and then just in our counsel together and our conversations. How how much do you think the confusion over the lifestyle of Christian practice and like what it means to be transformed and changed and that process, how much of that do you think is malnourished because we have like a very small view of how a person actually experiences change? Like, I do think that like sometimes in spiritual disciplines books, it sounds like, oh, what I need to do is I need to like, if I pump the right information into my mind. So some spiritual disciplines books Mm -hmm. are like, got to get, download the right information to my mind. Other spiritual disciplines books are like, I have to bask in the romantic glory of the feeling (laughs) and affection. Then there, then there are, then there is like, and this really, I think of like Jamie Smith's books with You Are What You Love. There's been a move in the last 10, 15 years to go, no, 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 no. It's, it's actually a lot more about what you're doing. It's kind of what you're putting your hands to, these formative practices. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that your book does a good job of tying those three things together. But it does seem like a lot of the, I don't know, the holdup, so to speak, on the kind of spiritual transformation that we're hoping, wishing, praying, expecting, wanting, desiring, needing to see is because you kind of pick one of those and you're like, okay, that's it's information or it's feeling or it's doing. How much do you feel like this factors into how people think through their own transformation into godliness? Kyle, you just named the three categories of my book. Right. Like it's attention, emotions, and limits. So it's information, feeling, and doing. And in trying to tie those tensions together and to say, uh, so many of us either over-expect change, like it's an over-realized mm-hmm. theory of change and True. sanctification, or it's cynical and yeah. just pushed into, well, I need to think rightly, or I need to feel right. rightly, uh, or I just need to do. And so it's malnourished, like you said. And when we think about change and what it looks like, the whole... the point of becoming is to think over the span of a life, mm-hmm. that it is. it takes all of yourself, all of your life for all of your life to become more like Jesus. Yeah. And we are looking for change on a fad diet scale of return. Yeah. And so we get disappointed when the workout doesn't, doesn't uh, have results or the diet doesn't have results. And we, we go, well, that wasn't good. But to to allow the spirit to change patterns of behavior that we've walked in or family of origin stuff that has shaped us in ways that is decades into us. It takes decades for the Lord to slowly work those things out among his people. Yeah, that's right. And I think also we are such an individualized culture in the West that we are missing the new Testament witness of being changed among a people. Hmm. And Hmm. that, we have said, so many of the spiritual discipline books have said, hey, it's disciplines of engagement and abstinence, but they're focused on what you do as an individual, not the fact that 
uh, classically becoming a person of substance is done in service of the whole, not in service of yourself. And that you are becoming more like Jesus by being loving to others as you are loved and offering your gifts to the body. And so trying to hold those tensions of what do I, what is my personal responsibility and what is my responsibility to the body? I think that is a way that we can become rightly nourished in thinking about becoming someone. Huh. Yeah, I think you're right. JT and I have been talking about this a little bit too offline with, with another little species of theology, but I'd, I'd be curious for all of us, does it feel like there is, I mean, obviously we know that the human heart is bent in on itself, right? And so there is always an ever-present temptation for selfishness and tunnel vision. Does it feel like in the kind of influencer age that we live in that it's easier now than ever to kind of almost build your little transformation journey like as this kind of self-exploration odyssey? Like where it's like, I don't know. It seems like a lot of sanctification language now is getting co-opted or maybe it's vice versa in this kind of self-awareness. And and I'm a little bit, I, w- I, I entered into it with a lot of sympathy four or five, six years ago, and I, it immediately produced some benefit in my life. But Mason, I wonder, um, are we seeing a, a sense right now where some of the kind of external focus of the disciplines being engaged in a corporate community are being compromised by uh, over-attentiveness to who I am uniquely or to the uniqueness of the self and the journey of self-exploration? I know that you have uh, folded in a lot more kind of self-awareness and self-exploration stuff into what you guys have been doing in the training program. I've heard nothing but good things about that. I wonder how you're trying to thread that needle between an increasing sense of self-awareness and self-understanding without a self-preoccupation. That's right. And that's, that is a real danger for a contemporary Christian. And I don't think it's, it's new. I don't think it's new or unique to our age, but I think the exposure to false narratives and to persuasive promises. Uh, every time we open our phone uh, is just much more prevalent. I mean, if you're looking at the, the amount that you have to combat false narratives of what truth is and just what, like, what teens are exposed to, the percentages of what oh, yeah. teens identify as have gone up astronomically mm-hmm. because of the exposure to these false narratives through That's social right. media or through their phones. And so in thinking through with adults and then with teens, I mean, thinking holistically about the church's family, looking and going, you are a self Mm -hmm. and you have much to offer, but you are only a self in as much you become a self in relation to other people. And so Mm -hmm. like, how can you, this is uh, something I've read, but it's how can you know what it is to be loved or to be loving unless you have been loved? And how can you know what it is to be patient unless someone has been patient with you? Mm-hmm. And so we we need to actually uh, try and thread the needle of interdependence instead of independence. And that gets really hard in a polarized age. Yeah. I think that's where the community of Christ is called to do that and to engage with each other. But the, the temptation to try and find your uniqueness yeah. and to make it about your specific expression, I think, is to lose perspective of the historical view of the church and where we fall. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it is a tension. 
Hmm. I, I just, just to kind of like, I think hi- highlight that. I just read a new book by Adam Ramsey. We've had Adam on the podcast before. Yeah. I can't think of the name of the book right now. I'll think of it in a second, but he basically is help, helping Christians. I think, think through what Mason just highlighted. There is who, who am I is an important question, but asked in isolation can be dangerous. And That's he right. also helps Christians highlight the, yes, we need to ask who I am. And that has theological, spiritual, experiential implications of, who God's created us to be, perhaps uniquely, but also holistically and corporately. And I'm really interested in this book because he also highlights, uh, we have to ask the question, where am I and when am I? And he helps us understand redemptive history and kind of some of the, also where I live and how my embodied state, like a a theology of place matters. And so the where, uh, sorry, the, the who am I question becomes less dangerous when we're asking it in context of other important questions, like where am I, when am I, who am I with, who do I belong to, like the, like a local church or to a family. Right now we're living, and I think Mason highlighted this well, and this is also highlighted by um, some other contemporary philosophers, of like the expressive individualism is most dangerous when we're only asking the question, who am I? Because it doesn't take into consideration other important ontological or functional features of who we are, when we are, who we belong to, but that question can't not be asked. Who am I is an essential question that isn't just something that's been popularized in modern or postmodern American individualized West. It's been something that's been asked forever. It just has this, I, I agree with you, JT, and it has this uh, hyper-focus in our culture right now. Shrevin Wax wrote a great book, Eschatolo- Eschatological Discipleship. That is, it seems like it's right there with Ramsey um, mm-hmm. as far as asking what time is it? Yep, that's right. How do I think about it? Hmm. Do you wonder if if part of the gap in people moving towards transformation through practicing the spiritual disciplines, is it is it imaginative? Do you feel like when you're talking to readers or even as you're talking with people in the institute who you're, you're teaching, Mason, does it strike you that the gap, the gap that your book is trying to address does it feel like it's an imagination? It's a hope. It's a confidence. It's a desire. What what gap exists that you feel like when you're talking to your average person who's committed and trying to follow the Lord, involved in the life of a local church? Where do you feel like the gap exists most commonly? Is it a desire thing? They just can't imagine something better. Uh, I mean, imagination is it a desire thing. They just want to settle for something else, or it's too difficult. Is it a work cost thing? Is it sacrifice? Like when you're really wrestling with people that you think, man, you can walk in this. What do you feel like is the thing that's kind of standing in their way outside of the indwelling impact of sin and the temptations and frailty of the world? And obviously there are those big theological things, but what is beyond that? Yeah, I think primarily two things come to mind. The first one is uh, seeing God for who he is. So I actually spent the first third of this little book talking about obstacles to knowing God obstacles mm-hmm. receiving his love. And uh, so many of the conversations that we all, we all have are, well, God can't love me, not like this. Mm-hmm. And it's, okay, well, let's talk about what the text says. Yeah. And so walking mm-hmm. through how Christ shows the heart of the Father yeah. and helping people to understand how he receives them helps them also go, oh man, I have for a long time thought he would receive me in X, Y, or Z ways. But if we have the conversation around how you've been received by other people in life mm-hmm. and how you're transposing that onto God, that's a very common thing that then shades how they view anything that uh, feels like effort in their Christian life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So obstacles to knowing God, 
who he is, who he says that he is, and then thinking through what it is to have an over-realized expectation of what it'll look like. That's yeah. what it, that's what I was going to say, is that people believe that reading the scriptures every day will always be immediately rewarding. Mm-hmm. I had a conversation actually this morning with a good friend in my accountability group, and he was saying, uh, and this is this is not sensitive. It was, hey, I'm actually kind of feeling dry in my Bible reading right now. And I'm there, but I feel dry. Mm-hmm. And for us to be able to say, and that is part of the normal Christian experience. Yeah. But showing mm-hmm. up in the mm-hmm. word of God yeah. and doing that year after year yields so much because you're mm-hmm. you're just letting God's word shape who you are. And this is like, I, for a long season, would post Proverbs from uh, George Herbert on Instagram. And just so I could kind of remember these little sayings. And I would do it again and again and read them. And I would notice at certain points, it would come to mind and give its meaning. Mm-hmm. And that's meditation. Like, that's what it is, is to put God's word in you. And so an overrealized expectation of short-term fruit, rather long-term mm-hmm. fruitfulness, I think mm-hmm. is a big obstacle. So uh, knowing God rightly and yeah. then having right expectations of maturing in Christ would be the short answer. Is there one of the spiritual disciplines that you think is more understood than the more misunderstood than the others? Like, where do you think the biggest disconnect is for people, or is it, or is there just a general way in which people misunderstand them? I I think the one that people probably think of the most uh, in reading the scriptures might be the most misunderstood, and mm-hmm. I think okay. uh, can, for our context, we often treat the Bible like a treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. Of I need yeah. to go in and do the study to unlock the magical knowledge yep. instead of treating mm-hmm. it as God's design for life and yeah, his revelation right. of who he is mm-hmm. to us. And I will tell people often, like, he's not playing a cosmic game of hide and go seek. That's right. Like, he is telling us who he mm-hmm. is. And for us to be in the text and to look and see how he deals with his people, says to walk in wisdom, and then provides mm-hmm. for his people, allows us a relational pattern of knowing him. Yeah, uh, but so often people want to unlock the text through hard study that they actually overcomplicate it, and I think that there's a great benefit in reading the text in many different ways to be able to learn in many different ways. Um, mm-hmm. But people can boil it down or uh, lay too much emphasis on one pattern, which I think can be mm-hmm. difficult. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's my hot take, but I didn't write women of the words, so I'd love for you to interact with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think it's a subtle pragmatism. Well, maybe it's not even that subtle because it's but but I think that the the piece I always keep in my mind is that they didn't reach that conclusion about how to interact with the Bible in a vacuum. In many cases, they were told that was yeah. the way to interact with the Bible by someone in a position of spiritual authority, That's and right. which is why, honestly, this whole Reclamation Act that that the four of us have tried to do with regard to Christian education as a whole is so important is because uh, so many people received messaging that had m- way more to do with uh, instant gratification and individualism than it had to do with spiritual formation in the long run. And so... Um, that's what I've loved. I love when you preach on the spiritual disciplines. Well, anytime you preach, you work them into a sermon, obviously. But um, I love when you teach on this. I love seeing you connect it to the the headpiece because um, 
I do think that so many people received the message of, hey, if you just tick off these two or three things, then everything else is going to fall into place and it's going to fall into place really quickly for you. And so you do, you have people who are disillusioned or you have people who think that maybe the Holy Spirit, this is the one I hate the most, maybe the Holy Spirit isn't really working in them the way he is in other people. Like they think that they have limited the Holy Spirit or, you know, shut down the Holy Spirit, which is not to say that there isn't someone out there sinning who is actually doing that. But in the case of just like, if you haven't been given um, proper approaches to the things that have been given to us as tools, then why on earth, you know, would you be able to to see the benefit of them? Uh, also, and then there's the whole thing about wanting the benefit to happen in the first five minutes that you try it. Right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, Mason, I got to tell you, I can't more heartily commend this book to our listeners. Um, there are uh, wonderful books that have been written uh, over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years of the history of the church on spiritual disciplines. Um, and like I said, there are not many of them that meet that kind of goal golden uh, Goldilocks zone of the right size and a very substantive <laughs> contribution. I'm not naming names here, okay? I'm just saying some of these yeah, spiritual yeah. disciplines books are like wandering up a mountain with no map and it makes zero sense. Um, it's like, it's the, it's the- Do you like, know about map. going up mountains with no maps? Has that been I, like a- I, I, I've, done it, I've done it one time um, and never again. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this, listeners, you should go check it out. You can pick up a short guide to yeah. spiritual disciplines from wherever books are sold. Um, listen, if you want to find out more about what we have going on for the podcast network, go to check out trainthechurch.com slash support. We have some more summer surprise episodes for you that'll be dropping over the course of the summer. Mason, thank you for joining us today. Oh, been a joy. Thank you. Listeners, we hope you enjoy the discussion. Grace and peace.